All right, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? All right, if you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, we're going to... we're, we're, this isn't part of a series today. We're going to have kind of a standalone message, something that God's really been, been putting on my heart. And I think it's a, a, a fun thing to talk about as we dive into get ready for our business meeting this afternoon as well. And yeah, um, just to echo what Adam said, even if you didn't RSVP, love for you to join us. Um, there's going to be food and, and a lot of fun stuff we get to discuss as a, as a church body about what we're doing and where we're going. So I'm excited for the business meeting and I'm thankful for people that submitted questions that we can talk about as well. And it's going to be, it's going to be a fun, eventful morning. So Philippians chapter 1. Um, uh, before we dive into to chapter 1, I have a question for you guys. How many of you guys have appointments in life? should be everybody, right? Whether it's an appointment, you know, I've got an appointment at work. I've got a doctor's appointment. I've got a dentist appointment. I've got an appointment with a friend. I've got a lunch appointment. I've, you know, just, we, life is full of appointments. We have lots of appointments that, of all different kind of magnitude. And some of these appointments we love to look forward to. If I were to tell my kids, we have an appointment coming up, where? In Disneyland. Oh my gosh, best appointment ever, right? It's going it's to be awesome. But um, recently, we've had a few appointments that have not been awesome. Uh, my, one of my kids has had a few dentist appointments recently. And I never thought I'd see genuine fear in a child than one of my kids at the dentist. Fear so bad that, that I found myself getting frustrated, and it was even like, all right, this is just a mirror. Just open your mouth so they can, they can just use the mirror to look in your mouth. No! And I mean, arms failing, it was, it, was, it was terrifying. Three appointments at one dentist, where the dentist told us we can't come back to their dentist, that dentist anymore. And so we kind of laugh at it. I wasn't laughing then, but, you know, it's like, I got exiled from a dentist. Wow. <laughs> But, but so some appointments we don't look forward to. And some things you say, this is on my calendar and I do not want to go to this. But then other things we do, right? But, but appointments reign across the board on what we want. Some you want to avoid, some you miss altogether. Like, you know, how, how, many, how many people have had an appointment and you knew it was there, but then you let the time go by and you're like, oh, that was today? Oh, man, got to reschedule that? Darn. You, know, you, you missed it, right? Appointments across the board. But... We all have them. Now, I think that all of us in here, at some point in our life, you have had and you will continue to have appointments with God. Things, times where you go to God and you say, here's what's going on in life. Here's what we've got to address today. And some of them you may look at and say, God, let's talk about life. This is good. And some you may say, you know what, God, I don't want to talk to you right now. Just life is doing this. I've been doing these things. And I just don't want to talk right now. An appointment that can produce a difficult time or, or have no answers or maybe answers you don't want to hear. Um, I, I know that, um, the, so appointments I've had, not, not with God, but appointments I've had in life that I didn't look forward to. Um, not everybody knows this, but the week of our service in the park, that was one of the weeks where we had taken one of our daughters to the dentist and the, the freak out and stuff happened. Um, I also had a doctor's appointment that week. I actually had surgery that Tuesday leading into service in the park. And not everybody knows this, but Pastor Ryan had a doctor's appointment where he got really sick that week as well. So we're like, both pastors got hit in the hospital, things happening the week leading into the park. And I, I don't over-spiritualize things often. Like I, I don't, if my car doesn't start, I'm not the type of person that goes, the devil's after me today, my car didn't start. It was like, I didn't check my oil for six months. That's why my car didn't start. You know, there's the practical things in there as well. But that week with so many things happening, for us it was like, I feel like there's somebody that does not want us to be in the park this morning. 
There's, there's something out there trying to stop this, and I had to have an appointment with God that week saying, God, I need you to help get me through this, and what a joy it was, right? Service in the park was so fun. But sometimes appointments with God, we say, we look at our life and we say, this appointment has led to so much disappointment right now. Where I am in life right now has just made me disappointed, God. Why, why is this not happening the way it should? Why am I so in a rut right now? But, but I think if we want to, we, we get to this crossroads in our lives to have this deeper understanding with what Jesus wants for us, and a lot of this is going to respond, rely on our response to our appointments with God. When we meet with him and he tells us what's going on, or we say, God, here's my circumstance, what are you doing, and how are things working out, our response is going to play into, are we happy with what God's doing, are we seeing joy in what God's doing, or are we just flat out disappointed in life? And so we're going to talk a lot about that today. We're going to look at the life of Paul. And if you ever want to read a roller coaster of a ministry, look at Paul's entire life. Just start, start in the beginning with him and look at his life. This man went from an educated man to a Pharisee, a Roman citizen. A, he turned into a murderer. Then he turned into a church planter and a martyr for Jesus. I mean, that, that, this guy full spin around on what he was doing in life. He lived through it all. And when you look through his life of what he went through following Jesus, he, you'll see the highest of highs, churches getting planted, people getting saved. You'll see the lowest of lows, him literally having to sneak out of buildings, getting lowered over a wall in a basket to hide from people, getting dragged into places in stone, surviving, and then going back in. This man, it was phenomenal, incredible what he went through. But a pure roller coaster. And when we read this uh, passage in Philippians today, some context of what he's doing, he is in prison, in shackles, writing this letter. And when we, when we read today what he wrote during this, we'll see that he had an appointment with God, an appointment with his accusers, and a, his appointment in prison, and we'll see his attitude with it. How did God shape this? How was he facing what could be the most disappointing point of his life to date, and how did he serve God with it? So, when we find Paul here, and just some context of why he's in prison, if you don't know the life of Paul, he's in prison simply for serving Jesus. He was telling people about Jesus, telling people what a wonderful God we have, and he was put in prison for it. And I'm sure that while he was there, as most people would, he probably had questions. I mean, I, I, I don't care how spiritual you are, you have questions. Tragedy hits, you have questions. Good things happen. You may not have as many questions, but we all have questions. I'm sure Paul had questions, and there were even confusing times of him trying to understand the situation he finds himself in right here, day after day, week after week, sitting in a dirty cell, saying, I am here for serving Jesus. That would raise questions. I know that if, if I was doing my absolute best to serve God and things were just going down the drain, I'd have questions. What is happening? Why is this happening? And Paul could have been thinking, his mood could have been, why would this happen? How could this be? I have connections in high places. This man had dual citizenship. He was a Pharisee. He, had, he knew the people in the, in the ranks. He could have been asking, why am I here? I know a guy who knows a guy, and I know that guy. Why, why am I in this situation now? Why, is this, why are they not helping me? I love God. I put my trust in him. I give my life to him. I've started churches in his name. Why am I in prison? I'm sure he had complaints. I'm sure he thought that life stunk sometimes. He could have said, why me? I don't deserve this. He could have even made demands. You know, God, if you're really there, you will do this. God, I am doing the best I can, so you need to do the best you can and get me out. He could have had all these attitudes, but what we see is something totally different when we read this passage. 
we'll see that he had an appointment with God that could have set him back, and it would have led, I know, I would have been disappointed. It could have led so many people to disappointment, but we see Paul with a dominant mood and experiencing, it just enthusiastically, this attitude of joy. In everything going on, he exudes joy. And it's, it's easy to find joy when things go your way. It's not easy to find joy when things don't go your way. But, but every now and then, you may know someone like this, you may know someone who is happy or full of joy no matter what. Like people that just walk in the room and you can be like, you just lost your job today. They're like, I know, God's good, it's great. There are people that are genuinely like that. I worked with um, a worship pastor named Reggie Coates in California. And Reggie, this man had a smile on his face 24-7 no matter what. He, he, he literally said that he was going to lose one of his homes one day, and he had to, he, he had to move back. He, was, he lived in a place called Mount Hermon, and then we were working in Alamo. It was like a two-and-a-half-hour drive. At one point, he had to commute every other day. It was, it was like, man, you have to commute every day. And he was like, it's great. I get to catch up on my Bible on audio and worship for two hours on my way to work every day. It was like, he, he always found the silver lining. And even today, if I see his posts online, everything is of him smiling. And I know from experience, that's not just the face he's putting out there. That's him. The man is just full of joy. We may know people like that, people that just have joy no matter what. They've tapped into that joy, and it, it goes far deeper than the changing circumstances of life. One of the things that, that attracted me to a Christ-following life was, was the people that have influenced me younger when I saw them fully devoted to Christ and find joy no matter what. And one of those um, is my mom. My mom is just someone who, um, growing up, we were, we were on welfare. And my mom, even not that long ago, she, she ended up losing her home, and now she, she bought another home with, with my dad. And, and it's to know my mom and what we went through as kids, to see her and throughout history of my life, just smiling and saying, God is good, trust in God, through the roller coaster of life that we've had, it's an inspiration to me. And I know that that was a big influence in me, saying, I know Jesus is real because I see what, I see what he's doing in my mom's life, and I want that for my life. We didn't have much, but she knew what we had in Jesus, and it impacted her so much, and I knew that I wanted that too. The word joy in Philippians, or rejoicing, shows up, and even in this, in this uh, passage, 14 times, 14 times this letter, we have joy. Paul rejoicing in jail, a prisoner, a physical jailbird, but internally he was as free as a bird. He was just, he was out there. He was loving what God was doing, even though he was shackled and in prison. And there are many ways today, we may not be in prison like Paul was in this letter, but there are things we go through in life where we may feel imprisoned, right? You may feel like uh, you're trapped in a dead end job. You cannot get out of it. You hate your job, but you're, you're trapped. You feel imprisoned when you go to work. Or maybe your marriage has turned south and, and it's soured and you feel like a prisoner at home. Maybe you're confined with a physical handicap or an illness and you say, I, I feel like I'm a prisoner in my own body because of what I can or cannot do and I can't overcome this. Maybe you feel closed in on a bad decision and you're a prisoner of your own making, right? Something you've done has led to something in your life that you can't break out of. Well, Paul is having this appointment with God when he writes this letter and he's in a very literal prison. He's going to be tried for his faith in Jesus, and while he's doing this, getting tried in prison, he writes letters to churches, and this one specifically to the church in Philippi, so the Philippian church. And we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. But when I read this passage, before we dive in, the first thing I want us to see in this passage is when Paul is writing this letter, he finds so much joy in people, he sees the joy of having good partners. 
He sees the joy of having good partners, and that's so important for us in our life. So jumping in here, Philippians 1, 1, 1 through 11, it says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or, def- or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. How I long for all of you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and what may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's a lot in that passage, but I love how he, he greets and talks to people, how he greets them because he sees the joy of having good partnership his, he's in lockdown, right, in prison, and the first thing he says after his greeting, and that's one heck of a greeting, that's not just, hey, church in Philippi, and goes on. He, he does this wonderful greeting saying that he's coming to them with the love of Jesus, and then the first thing he says after his intro is, I thank my God every time. A place where he shouldn't be feeling thankful in prisons, but he's, the first thing he says is, I thank my God every time I think of you guys. See, thankfulness flows from Paul. It's part of his very core. It's part of who he is. And this is not for, for circumstances that he's in, but the opportunities he has because of his circumstances. I don't think he had the mentality of, Paul, you're getting arrested. Praise God, I'm going to jail. But instead it was, praise God, because I know what's going to happen when I'm in jail. I know what God can still do when I'm in jail. He was finding the joy and thankfulness through all of this. That is inspirational right there. If, if you want to grow through the things that you face, Focus on, reflect on what you can be thankful for in those moments. In the worst of worst times, if you focus on, how can I be thankful right now? You will grow in ways that maybe you didn't even know you could grow because you'll see God working in those moments. And for me personally, that's why I love our Thanksgiving service. That's my favorite service of the year. I know it's a few months away, but every, every year on Thanksgiving, we meet for 45 minutes here in the morning, and the service, we do some worship songs, and then the rest of the service is people reading letters about what they're thankful for to God. I love the service. It's powerful to me. The, the, that I go on a roller coaster of emotions on Thanksgiving. Some people write, write letters that are just full of joy, and other people write letters where it may start off hard and sad, but then you see why they're thankful for these moments, and it's so good. It's incredible to hear stories from people about what they've faced and why they're thankful for what God is doing and why Jesus is a part of it. I love it. But it's up to every person. It's up to us in our circumstance to determine, are we going to be thankful for this or not? This is is something that's all on you. No one can do it for you. Paul couldn't do it for you. No one else can do it for you. Paul had to do this for himself. In prison, he had to choose, I will be thankful. I'm going to, God has me here. I'm not going to be mad at him. I'm going to be thankful for what he's going to do now. See, see he, God calls us to change our thinking and re- renew our mind all through the Spirit, but we have to choose to do this. He won't just snap his fingers and do it for you. It's a mentality we choose to look for and live out. In verses 4 through 5, he says, He always prays with joy because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
The first mention of joy in this letter is when Paul's talking to the Philippian Christians as his partners in God's work. And he does this, I think, in three very practical ways, how he thanks the people. And the first, he thanks them for the way that they pray. They prayed for him. And Paul acknowledges that in verse 19. He refers to their prayers for him. See, the Philippians were praying for Paul, and he believed that their prayers were the reason that he would ultimately be freed from jail one way or another. Their prayers were going to be answered. If you continue to read Philippians in chapter 2, verse 25, you see that they help. They continue to help him while he's in prison. So he talks about, in this this passage, a man named Ephroditus. Now, he's a messenger that they sent to take care of Paul's needs. Now, if you end up in prison today... Um, I, I know it's, 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 it's not luxurious in any way, shape, or form, but you do get three meals a day. You do get a place to sleep. Again, not great conditions, but you get meals, you get a bed, and there's a prison staff that cares for the prisoners, right? To a degree. In Paul's day, guess what they did not do for you when you were in prison? You didn't get meals every day. You didn't have someone caring for you. You had people watching you, and if you starved to death, it was, oh, darn, Let's get rid of the body. People had to care for people in prison. So unless you had an outsider who could bring food and care for you, people would die in prison fairly quickly. You had to have someone absolutely caring for you. The government did not want to care for you in prison. So that's what Paul is thanking them for now. They sent a man who helped and cared for him while he was in prison. So when the Philippians heard Paul's there, they sent Ephroditus to take care of him. So Paul is saying, you guys helped me, and I'm so thankful that even in this worst, this horrible circumstance, you are partnering with me. You are helping me get through this. In chapter 4, he continues his, his passage of thankfulness. In verses 10 to 20, he brings up the, um, the issue of their generous financial support to him while he's in prison. He talks about how they're not just sending him finances. They are still resourcing uh, other churches around. Paul is able to say, you guys sent an offering with Ephroditus to help me get through this. And this is not the first time you've sacrificially given of yourselves to me or to the churches in the area. So Paul is so thankful for what they're doing. They prayed, they helped, and they gave. And this is why Paul says it, right? So when we see those things, it's easy to see. We can say, this is why Paul's so thankful. He's got a group of people. He's got partners. People that say, I will be with you through this, right? Partners are good to have. And the truth is, what I love, something I love about this church so much, I love that I have good partners in this church. I love that, that I look out in this room right now and I see so many people that, that do these very same things that Paul is talking about uh, that they did for him. I see people partnering with me here at Celebration Church and it is wonderful. And I think you guys, I, I know you guys partner with me the same way Paul is thanking these people for. You guys pray. I love that I'm in a church that prays. I know there are people for me that pray for me each and every week. I I love it when I get a text or an email or a a note in the mail for teens. That's when a stamp comes. There's your names on it. You open it up. It's a lost art these days. Snail mail. But I love getting things like that. And it just says, you know, pastor praying for you this week. Hey, pastor, you shared this. You you shared something about yourself. I'm wanting to know that that meant this to me. And I'm praying for you. I love that I have people praying for me. I love it so much. Every Friday morning, I meet with a group of men at Anthem Coffee. And you know what we get to do together? We get to pray together every Friday morning. I love it. I I pray for every Connect card that gets filled out. Anytime something goes in that box with a prayer request or a praise report, it makes it to my desk, and I pray for those people, and I know that people pray for me. Prayer is the first and most important way that we partner together in God's work. When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. 
When we pray, God works. So I love that I'm part of a church where you guys pray. I love that I'm a church where you guys, you guys help. Paul talked about how the, they, they sent Ephroditus to him to help. I love that you guys help. Do you guys know how many volunteers it takes to make this happen week in and week out? I don't have an exact number. But it's a lot, right? It's a lot of people. We, we talked about it, um, and, and that's just, that's just the, the normal stuff that we do. And it's, it's, there's, there's so many people that serve, and as you look around, it may be easy to say, like, oh, look, the bases are covered, that we've got people serving in coffee, we've got people serving in kids, we've got worship team, hospitality team. It's easy to look around and say, bases are covered, but you know what I can honestly tell you? Every single ministry here at church would love to have more people on it. Every single one. I love that we have people that help, and I love that when I look out, I see people that can still help. And I love that we get to do this together, but every ministry can use more people. If, if you're already serving, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for what you do in this church. This is a team deal. I rejoice in your partnership to do this, do this thing with me. If, if you're not serving yet, you still haven't figured out where to serve, roll up those sleeves, let's dive in. Talk to me about what, what gets you excited. I would love for you to say, hey, I like doing this. Is there an opportunity at the church where I can use this skill? Yes, there is. Whatever skill you have, yes, there is. Roll up your sleeves, dive in, jump in. It's fun. It's, it's an adventure. And if you're serving somewhere and you're like, you know what? I try this. I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. Well, let's try somewhere else. Let, let's, find, let's find a place where you wake up and you say, you know what? I love that I get to do this. I get to do it and I get to use my skills in a way that God has given me. I get to give back to people and let's have fun doing it. I love that you guys help. And I also love that you guys give. Paul talked about the generosity of the, the church. I love that this church is generous. This church is so generous. It, it continues to grow. And not only, it, it, why, why are we so generous? Why do we continue to grow? It's not only because we might be better off, but because our hearts are enlarged towards Christ's mission when we give. We show, we're showing God we trust him. It's beyond us. It's bigger than us. We're giving to him and his mission. And we're giving to the less fortunate, to those in need. Something that I love is that we've done the harvest offering for, for two years since I've been here. We've raised in those two years, in that one offering each year, we've raised over $25,000. And we've got to use a lot of that, that money and resources and give it to, to missionaries and people in need. And we still have some of that money that we get to give out. I'm excited to see how that continues to grow, how we get to continue to give to our community. I love that when, when the youth rallied together and said, hey, we want to go to camp this year. We're going to have a bake sale. We're going to have a car wash. The church poured out generosity to help them raise funds to go to camp. I love that you guys give and that you are a generous group of people. I'm excited to see how we get to continue as a church to give our to, uh, resource to our community, to grow leaders, to send people, to serve others. It's exciting to be a part of a place that loves to give. And I'll never take that for granted. You guys amaze me by your generosity. And, and on top of that, in many ways, we're, there's so many people that are faithful with tithes and offerings. And that shows week in and week out. And I'm so thankful and I rejoice in your partnership that you have with this place. And I pray for you guys with joy. I, all the time, I, I pray for this church. And I pray, that, I, I pray and I rejoice that I have good partners here that I'm able to serve and work with you guys. There are so many of you that do so many things, and I think that's why God is working in so many powerful ways here at church, and we get to unpack a lot of that in the business meeting and see what, what God has done and is doing. And I truly believe that, that the growth of our church and our success at working with people in our community and allowing them to find Jesus is a team effort. This is a team effort that no one person here can do all on their own, but we come together and we do so much more together than we could ever do apart. And we'll see that we, get to have a, we do have a lot to celebrate at our business meeting this year.
God is doing amazing things. I'll never take for granted the people that are working here and partnering with me to make these things happen. So thank you to everyone who was a part of this. But now let's shift gears from a church mindset and ask the question personally. Do you have good partners? In your life, in your atmosphere, do you have good partners like what Paul is talking about here? Do you have people that pray for you in your life? People that you know, hey, I'm going to go through this. I can contact this person. They're praying for me. Or do you have people that are praying for you even if you don't contact them? You know that this is a partner in life with you. They are going to pray for you. Do you, all, do you have someone who's willing to, uh, to slap you when you need to be slapped? I say that with all the love in the world. Sometimes you just you know, it's like, you know, snap out of it, right? Do you have someone who's willing to give you the wake-up call to, to drag you out and say, nope, let's go. Get out of this rut. We're going to do this. Do you have a partner who is there to count, be accountable with you? If you do, then you know why Paul felt joy in jail. He knew all the people that were with him. He knew the people that were there saying, we are in the trenches. We may not be in the cell with you, but we are still in ministry with you everywhere you go. That's why he had so much joy, because he knew he was never isolated or alone, even when he physically was isolated and alone. If you don't have those people, let me encourage you, find those people. Find those people in your life that, that can invest time and energy in, into your life. You invest time into people. Build those relationships. Get into a small group. It takes time. It takes energy. But man, being a part of a small group, you get to be a part of a community that maybe you didn't even know existed yet. I love small groups here at church, and we'll talk about that in the, the meeting as well. I, I think that in order for a church to grow bigger, you know what it has to do first? It has to grow smaller. And that doesn't mean I'm trying to kick anybody out of church. I mean, the small groups have to grow. Each group has to start small and cultivate because that's where relationship happens. That's where life happens. It's hard to, to get that kind of relationship in life you know, in, in an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. But when you're doing it once a week or once every other week, however the small group meets, and you're actually doing more than just one hour with a group of people, and it's not an hour of we're going to worship, we're going to listen, and we'll have a few minutes to talk in the front end. But when the whole time is we are here to build each other up, life happens. And it is good. Build relationships. Get into a small group. It will take time, but the energy you invest will pay dividends later, especially if you end up in jail like Paul. You'll have a group that loves you and a group that prays for you, right? But there's nothing like good partners when you're in jail. I used to play basketball in prison. Let me rephrase this. I was not in prison. I went to prison to play basketball with inmates. I was part of a basketball team that would go to San Quentin Prison in California once a month, and we'd play against the inmates. And it was a lot of fun. I remember um, we, we like, like 30 games, we won two. They were good. They were really good. But um, at halftime, we would get to share a, a word with the inmates, and then we'd play, and they had official stat keepers. They would have, sometimes the Golden State Warriors would come and practice with the inmates, and that's why they were good. They cheated. But, but we played with them. But all that to say, after we would leave, you know, we built some relationships with some of these guys that were in prison. Some of them were lifers. They were there forever. Some of them knew they would be getting out in X amount of months or years. And we started writing to some of the inmates. And they, when one of the inmates eventually was released, he came to church one day. And it was really cool to see him. And he brought to me and Sean, Sean was a, the organizer, he was the youth pastor at the church and one who organized the whole basketball ministry. He brought every letter we wrote and he said, these got me through so much in prison. And it was so cool because we felt, it was the embodiment of this, he felt we were his partners. We were helping him through the hard times. And then when he was free, he was able to have an anchor. These people helped me out and start living his new life. 
Never forget the joy of what a good partner can get you through. One of my best friends growing up wound up finding himself in jail one day. I remember sending him letters and notes. And he and I, he lives in Alaska now, so we never see each other. But he told me recently, we communicate through Facebook, he told me he still has the letters that we swapped when he was in prison and I was writing to him. Things that helped get him through. Never forget what a good partner can see you through. Find a good partner or a group of partners. Get into a group of people that will spur you on. Paul saw the value in it. Find it, hold on to it, live in it. In the next passage, the next chunk of verses, 12 through 18, we see that Paul moves on from partners. He talks about purpose. He sees the joy of God's purpose in this disappointing time. So Philippians 1, starting in verse 12, we're going to keep reading. Go to 18. It says this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But why does this matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. You see, see, Paul sees the purpose of what's going on around him, despite the circumstance, right? He says that his imprisonment has actually resulted in the advancement of the gospel. God was using Paul in prison to actually spread the word of Jesus, which is, which is great because most people would look at that as the, the stopping point, right? Like, well, I guess whatever God's doing in me now has to pause because I can't go anywhere. Paul saw the exact opposite. He said, what's happening now is causing the advancement to spread. And so how did it happen? Here are some things that were happening when Paul was in prison that was advancing the gospel. The soldiers who guarded Paul were being converted. The very people who had him arrested and were told to guard him because of what he was doing were falling in love with Jesus. That is really cool. Imagine being assigned to guard Billy Graham in prison. You're gonna, you were going to get a whole earful of what God was doing in his life, right? And talk about a rotating captive audience. Every time new guards came, it would be a new opportunity to start all over. Here's what God is doing. Here's what, who's who Jesus is. And consequently, guards were becoming Christians, it turned into, a, I, I can't imagine how it turned into, great, I have to go guard Paul to, I get to go hear more from Paul now. That's what was happening in prison, and that is so cool. The Christians in Rome felt encouraged to speak out for Christ more boldly. Paul's example of courage spurred them on. This was a time of persecution, and Paul was in prison, and you would think that would cause people to go, shoot, <laughs> our, our leader's in prison, we better, we better stay low. But because of Paul's boldness, they were saying, we can be bold. He got arrested. He's not stopping. We will not stop either. It was inspiring people to live their faith loud. Even his rivals were preaching Christ, he says. There were some folks that were jealous of Paul, and they were preaching out of self-ambition. They wanted recognition. And you know what Paul said? I don't care how they're preaching, what their motive is. They're preaching Jesus, right? Let Jesus get out there. They'll have to answer to God one day for their motives. What I care about is that people are hearing who Jesus is. Paul was looking at everything saying, wow. God is at work. There's a purpose behind everything. And me being in jail, God is using this to purposefully move his mission forward. So think about your life now. Think, think about your life circumstance. How in your life, how are God's purposes being advanced through your life and your circumstances? 
<clears throat> it could be really easy to complain, right? Really easy to look at something and say, man, this is, I don't see God working here. It's really hard for me to understand how God is working here. But what if we flip the script and said, all right, despite this, how is God working? Start looking for that instead. Have the Paul mentality, right? It's easy to complain or ask the wrong questions when you're in jail. Now, there was a girl, I don't know if um, you guys have ever heard of um, a quadriplegic named Joni Erickson Tata. Now, her story came out years ago, many years ago, but she, was, she became a quadriplegic when she was 17 years old. She, it was an, she was an active athletic teenager, and she actually broke her neck diving into a shallow portion of a lake, and she spent the rest of her life in a wheelchair. After the accident, she was overcome with depression, despair, and anger. She asked those questions that I'm sure a lot of us would ask, right? How could God let this happen? Why me? And she actually shares that she went through a phase in her life when this happened where she wanted to die. She wanted to just be done with it all. But she didn't. She has gone on to become an accomplished artist. You know how she paints? She puts the brush in her mouth and paints. She is a much-traveled speaker and author whose books, art, and talks have influenced and brought thousands of people to know Jesus. Talk about someone who could have looked at that and said, it's done, it's over, there's no point, there's no purpose, but instead who flipped it and said, God, how can I use this? How can we work together now so your glory can still be seen? And even though she's a quadriplegic and what she loved to do shifted, she's helped point thousands of people to Jesus. That's amazing. Did God cause her accident? She'll actively tell you, no. She did. She made a mistake. Did God use her accident for his glory? Yes, absolutely he did. She's reached more people than she knew she would ever have been able to reach on the other path of life she was going on. And who knows what, that, what would have happened in her life that way, but she recognizes that God has used this tragedy for his glory and praise God people know him because of what happened. That is awesome. She rejoices and she finds joy in her situation. Sometimes, though, we, we ask the wrong questions, right? We can ask those questions in difficult times, and they can lead to feeling disappointment when we have that appointment with God. Like, so something tragic happens, and you have that appointment with God, and you don't want to be disappointed. Don't ask all these questions. I know we do ask these questions. They're normal, but we can get caught up in these ones. We can ask, where are you, God? Where are you, God? Do you see me? Valid question, but we can get hung up on that, and it can lead to, to being depressed. We can ask, how could you, God? How could you do this? We can ask, why didn't you, God? Or even better, when will you do it the way I need it? Right? When will you do this the way that I need you to do this? We can get hung up on those questions, and we most likely won't get answers to those questions. We most likely won't because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We can't see the whole picture the way he sees the whole picture. So there's a different question we should ask ourselves in these times where we find, all right, I have to have an appointment with God, and I don't want to be disappointed. Ask yourself this instead. Shift all those questions to this. Is he my God? Is he my Lord? And will I allow him to be sovereign over all and in all of my life? Is he my Lord and will I allow him to be sovereign Lord over all and over all of my life? Are we going to trust that no matter what's happening in your life, he is still in control, he is still sovereign, he is in charge? That shifts everything in your mind. So often our lives take a turn that's not planned. I mean, that, that happens throughout our whole life. Didn't plan on things to do this way. In Paul's appointment with God here, this could have been a divine appointment. God could have orchestrated this. I don't know. 
But we do know that in the circumstance, Paul wrote a third of the New Testament while he was in prison. Now, now, many of us, like Paul, could be trapped in jail, trapped by a circumstance we didn't ask for, a circumstance we didn't design, but know that God's at work. And we can see his accomplishing purpose through his work. And I believe that in whatever prison in life that we're in, we can have that joy when we see God's purpose, when we see him actively working in it. In the last chunk of scripture we'll read in Philippians 1 today, we'll see that Paul talks about, he sees the joy of growing hope. The joy of growing hope. Hope is so important. Let's read this passage, starting in verse 19, going to 26. Paul says this, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so, now, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in this body, this, means, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So Christ said that he would like to, to continue to rejoice because he had confidence in the work of the life that Christ and the Spirit were doing in him. Back in verse 1-6, he says this. He says, being confident of this, who has begun a good work in me, a good work in you, will carry it on to the day of Christ Jesus. I, I think there, there comes a time for all of us where we need to become convinced that because what God has started something in you, you know what God will do? He will complete that thing. He will finish that thing. He's not going to start something and just fend you off and forget about it. What he started, he will complete. And Paul was saying this to the people. He sees the hope of the future because he knew God started something in him. And just because he was in prison didn't mean it was over. God was going to complete it. Paul helped plant this church, this, this church in Philippi. And just because he was in prison doesn't mean it was the end of the road for that church. God started something there. He was going to complete it. This church over the years has had high times. It's had road times, the celebration church. It's had some, some times where, where it was just ministry was booming and there were times where ministry was struggling. You know what I know though? When Pastor Chris planted this church, God gave him a vision for what was gonna happen here and God's gonna see that through. There is a mission and God is at work. If you study Paul, you see he has hope and confidence in God's work and he knows it will be accomplished. Nothing can stop God when he's on the move. But Paul also knows he has a part to play. He has decisions. He's involved. He's not just sitting back saying, all right, I started this. God, take it over from here. He knows he's involved in it. He knows he's an active part of the ministry here. He never just sits back and says, God will get it done. I'm just going to watch. When, when things are out of my control, it is not out of his control. And we're not done because we're a product of God's work, and God is not done. What he has started, he will finish. Sometimes we have difficulty finishing projects, right? Men, just look at your honey-do list at home. It's probably growing. Mine is, right? Sometimes we have a project that we don't finish. God will finish everything. God wants Christ to be, he, he want, uh, Paul wanted Christ to be exalted in him, whether he was alive or whether he was dead. He knew that God was going to keep working. He was going to complete it no matter what, life or death. And Paul has this great line here, right? He says, no matter what, this is going to be good. If I live, this is great. If I die, this is great. Not that many people have that mentality. But Paul did. He says there's no reason for despair because he is not hopeless. And I can't think of 
any harder place to be than in a place of hopelessness. If you literally are looking somewhere and say there is no hope, meaning you look ahead and it is just bleak, dark, there's nothing, that is a horrible place to be. I pray you're never there. And if you're there now, man, I want to pray with you to get out of there because through God, we always have hope. He is not done. He's working. And Paul lives in that. No matter what the circumstance, he says, I can see what God is doing and there is always hope. It doesn't matter if, this, if I get freed and I'm alive or if I get executed and die, there is hope because I see what God is doing. He knew his future was bright. He said these lines. He said, to live is Christ. He said to live is Christ. Now, Paul would rejoice because if he was to live, that meant he knew Jesus and God was going to do great things through him. He was ready to keep on working. He had purpose, meaning, direction. He knew that his life was counting. Living meant fruitful labor. It meant he was going to continue to work with church. He was going to continue to spread the gospel, and he loved doing it. Living meant being used by God for God's purpose. He would say, for me, to live is Christ. Can, can, can we say that about our lives? If you do a self-examination, can you say, for me, to live is Christ, meaning you are living for him. You know what you're doing. He's called you to do. Every single day, you're like, God's got a purpose. I'm going to live it out. My future is bright because I'm living for Christ. He's using me for his glory. That is what it means to live is Christ. Get up every morning and say it. I'm going to live for Christ. Today is going to be a good day. Even in the midst of bad things, because God's in charge, it's going to be good. Whatever your jail, whatever your circumstance, offer yourself to Jesus. Know that your life counts. To live is Christ. Live for him. You have the joy of glowing prospects, a glowing and growing purpose, regardless of circumstance. And then Paul says the opposite, right? He says, to live is Christ. Then he says, to die is gain. Flip the script, right? To die is gain. Paul realized that in this situation, a very real reality for him is he could go to trial and they could have him executed. He could go and be executed. And he said, it's okay. I gain if I die because I get to go be with Jesus. He didn't look at that as the end game. He looked at it as just a changing of scenery. He said in the letter, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. He, he was acknowledging, if I leave here and I'm in the presence of God, that's like the best thing, in, that's the best thing ever. I get to go be with Jesus. And the word depart here in the original translation was the word they would use for breaking camp, like tearing down a tent and setting up somewhere else. So he really was saying, if I depart from here, he wasn't saying it's over, I'm done. He's saying, I'm, I'm getting an address change. I'm going to a new location. I, I get to be with God, but it's not over. It's just the start of something new somewhere else. And that's the truth for, truth for us, right? One day when we die, it's when we know and love Jesus, it's a change of address. We go from here to heaven. We leave this body. We leave this, this tent. We depart here, and we're in the presence of God. There's a book by Catherine Marshall called A Man Called Peter. And she tells a touching story of uh, a young, terminally ill son asking his mother what death was like and if death hurt. So the boy's name was Kenneth, and this passage, she says, Kenneth, she said, you remember when you were a tiny boy how you used to play so hard all day, and when that night came, you would be too tired to even undress, and you would tumble into your mother's bed and fall asleep? That was not your bed. It was not where you belonged, and you would only stay there a little while. In the morning, much to your surprise, you would wake up and find yourself in your own bed in your own room. You were there because someone had loved you and taken care of you. Your father had come with his big, strong arms and carried you away. Kenneth, death is going to be like that. You're going to wake up some morning to find yourself in another room, our own room where you belong because the Lord Jesus loves you. 
The boy's trusting face told her that the point had gone home and that there would be no more fear. He never questioned again. Several weeks later, it happened. He fell asleep, and just as she said, he woke up in his own room, the one that Jesus had prepared for him. Despite our circumstances, we're living here. We live for Christ. Know that when you live for him, our change of address doesn't mean his work is done. He is completing. He is working. There is always hope in God's purpose. Never lose hope. Never lose sight of what God is doing. And never lose, <clears throat> never lose the partnership of people that, are, that he's bringing alongside you to do it with. Know that to live is Christ, to die is gain. Don't let your disappointing situation make you disappointed what God's doing. Let your disappointing situation be the motivation to see what God is doing instead. I'd like to invite the worship team up and everyone to stand with me as we close this morning. Jesus says in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. Jesus is preparing a place for all of us. But until it's our time to go there, we've got stuff to do here. We've got a purpose. We've got a plan. No matter what jail we may find ourselves in, Let's live for Christ. Let's go all in and say, God, I may be disappointed in what's happening, but I can be full of joy because of what you are doing in this circumstance. Some questions for us to think about. Do you have the God-given hope of heaven that takes the sting out of death and makes that a glowing prospect for our future? And not just death, but, but the God-given hope that in your darkest disappointment, God is good and God is always at work. Eventually, they did come to Paul and say, it's time. And Paul was beheaded. But even up until his final moments, he was trusting God. He told people, in this moment, I've ran the race, I fought the fight, and he knew he was receiving his heavenly reward. And because of Paul's faithfulness, we have his words today. We have the word of God today. Churches are still growing today because someone said, I will not let my circumstance dictate my attitude. I will have joy regardless of my circumstance. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that, that you did great things in Scripture. You're going to do great things here for us at church. God, I, I pray that, that in our deepest disappointments, we're able to shift that mentality and say, God, I have an appointment with you, and it's going to be good because you are at work. You're at work. You're good. You're always working, always moving, and you've got incredible things planned for us. So, God, we trust you. We love you, and I pray that we see you in all that's happening in us and all that you are doing through us. Thank you, love you, and everybody said, amen. amen.